0: And as always, I'm so glad each one of you are here, because we love the Lord, and we love His Word, right? And so if you would open your Bibles along with me to um, Numbers chapter 22, and we're going to be picking up with, um, no, I mean Deuteronomy. (laughs) And we're going to be picking up with verse 13, chapter 22, verse 13 of Deuteronomy, chapter 13, verse 22. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for your word and for your Holy Spirit that's able to help us apply it to our hearts and our understanding. And I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would come and minister your word to each one of us, that we might be encouraged in in all of our ways in following you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us in such a way that people would sense your presence, they would sense your forgiveness, your love, your protection, your healing. And Father, if there are any that are here that don't know you, that they would also come to find you this morning and be born again of the Spirit. And so we thank you, Father, for this time that we have together, and we pray that you would bless it. And I ask for your strength and for your anointing and your Holy Spirit to guide every word of my mouth, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, and I started working on this portion of Scripture this week, I was thinking to myself, why didn't I arrange it so Frank got this portion? <laughs> You're going to find out in a minute why. It's a, it's a tough one. and uh, But one of the things, you know, that we have to think about is we're all concerned, and we should be, about legalism, you know, and about a works doctrine. We should be concerned about that because it's always the Lord, it's never us. But in the same hand, I think we also have to be careful that we don't get to a point where we're so afraid of, of works and legalism that we start allowing things to pass through the net that we shouldn't. We allow things into our lives that are contrary to the Word of God, and we just kind of make an excuse for it because we don't want to be uh, legalistic. <clears throat> you know, and I was thinking about it this uh, actually yesterday. My grandson Kyle, uh, he came in the house with his cousin, not my grandson, but his father's uh, nephew and anyway they walked into the house and i'm sitting there in my chair i mean just picture this i'm sitting there in my chair by the fire reading the bible listening to old hymns on bluetooth the old rugged cross and so he walks in and i know what he was thinking oh my word what a man of god here he is on a saturday evening sitting in front of the fire reading his bible listening to old rugged cross but then i thought to myself There could have been times he walked in and I was upstairs watching something that I shouldn't. You understand what I'm saying? So we have to realize that while we're found in the flesh, it's easy for us, maybe not easy, but it is very possible, maybe more um, convenient than we think, to fall into sin and to allow things to come into our lives that we shouldn't. But what we need to understand is we always have to have an attitude of confession and repentance. It's one thing to have done something that you shouldn't have done and just think, oh, that's all right, God understands. And it's another thing to do something that you think you shouldn't do or shouldn't have done and say, God, forgive me a sinner. And God does forgive us as many times as we ask. He purifies us from all unrighteousness. That's the God that we serve. I want to share with you, and you can find this on YouTube. Someone sent it to me this morning, and I listened to it. And uh, this is last week, and Representative Greg Stubbe, who is a conservative, he actually started off their meeting by reading from the Bible. And guess what chapter he was reading from? Deuteronomy 22. And he was reading from Deuteronomy 22 because in the Judiciary Committee, they were uh, discussing uh, all these transgender and, and gender fluid and homosexuality and all these things, and he read from the Bible, and he was saying, this is what we you know, have to adhere to. And there were, of course, many congressmen that were snickering. And then chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, she, he called this, and he said, it's out of order, and this is a direct quote that he made. God's will has nothing to do with this Congress." Do you understand where we are? I mean, we can look at that and say that's silly, but do you understand how many people agree with that? Do you understand how many people think, as Pastor Frank brought out in the first service, that we're involved with hate in our heart, a hate crime because we say certain sins are wrong? The thing we have to realize that these, anything the Bible calls sin is sin. But you and I, in in the compassion of Jesus Christ, have to love the people. Pastor Frank really uh, expounded on this beautifully this morning. We have to love the people, and we have to stand on the truth, though, because if someone is in sin, I can love them, but guess what? If I don't point out the error of their ways, I'm not in love. Because the reality is that their sin can be forgiven. But there's no forgiveness without the confession of sin. And I think... That what we have to understand as we get into the portion this morning is um, in this time of history, our nation, our world is in a place that probably it's never been in before. Where literally, as the Bible says, good is accepted for evil and evil is perceived as good. And I might have said that a little backwards, but you understand what I mean. Good is taken for evil. If you stand against certain things that are wrong, it's taken for evil. And so we have to realize that as believers, we need to come to a place where we don't fall into complacency by virtue of wanting to be accepted. Understand what I mean? Well, I don't want them to think I'm this, or I don't want them to think I'm that, so I'll just kind of go along with it. Well, that's wrong, because the Word of God is the Word of God. The truth is the truth. And so we have to understand as we we look into this is that probably every one of us, and I'm not putting anyone in a spot or anything like that, but probably every one of us in the day and age which we live in before we are saved have probably fallen into some kind of sexual sin. But the reality is we confess and we repent and God forgives us. But if we start getting into... um, having our conscience seared is with a hot iron, as Scripture says, and we fall into this kind of gradualism where we're now saying, oh, this isn't sin anymore. Oh, it's okay for me to do this. That's when you have a problem. The reality is sin is sin. Sin needs to be confessed, uh, confessed, and it needs to be repented of, which means the word repentance is taken from the Greek word that means to completely turn. It's a 180, to turn around. And... um, One of the things that's interesting to me, because the portion I have is dealing with (laughs) S-E-X. Oh, why did I get this portion? But anyway, the first gift that God gave to Adam and Eve was the marital relationship. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And also, we have to understand is that this is the first place That Satan attacked. In one Corinthians chapter six and verses eighteen through nineteen, it uh, tells us, and I'm not going to read the whole portion, but it tells us those every other sin is outside the body, but those that commit sexual sin, it's against the body itself. And so, Scripture is very, very clear in relationship to you know sexual sin. And we have to realize that our society has come to a place where it's considered normal and even recreational. I mean, any any TV you watch, any movie you watch, it's absolutely amazing. But in God's economy, sexual sin is very serious. Not only in participating in it, but even viewing it. Many people don't realize this, but in the ancient world had graphic pornographic pictures on wood, stone, and even paintings and carvings. And violence also at that time was used as a form of recreation. All we have to do is think of Fox's Book of Martyrs and how Christians were burnt at the stake and everyone came to watch it. You had the Colosseum where you had Christians that were thrown in to fight lions and so forth. And so violence and, and promiscuity go together. And every nation that has fallen to violence as entertainment and promiscuity as a normal way of life, that nation has become corrupt and has fallen. I mean, you you can look at Babylon, you can look at at the Chaldeans, you can look at every ancient empire that fell. It fell because it started accepting these kinds of things as sin. And it's always, almost always, by gradualism. I can remember, I mean, there's not too many of you that are as, uh, as old as I am, but I can remember when there was a big controversy on TV Because they had one of the evening shows. They thought it was okay because it was an evening show. And they used the word hell. They said hell on TV. You know, as a swear word. And, oh, it was a big thing. Now you can turn on your TV and you can watch just about anything. You can go to your computer and you can watch anything. And so we have to understand that... There is a, we are exposed to something that no other generation has ever been exposed to. And we have to realize that God has commanded us to do something about it. In fact, in Psalm 101, verse 3, it says this, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. Wow. And we do set wicked things before our eyes. And the thing that I believe is concerning is the fact that we're starting to take it even as believers, is, well, that's just entertainment. That's just the way it is. Well, maybe it's time that the church, especially the times we're living in, you, you read what Jerry Nadler said, or I you shared, I shared with you what Jerry Nadler said about, you know, what does God, God's will, have to do with Congress? What does God's will have to do with the nation that was founded on the Magna Carta, which was based on the Ten Commandments of the Bible? What does that have to do with? It? Our nation has really become dark. And so for you and I, we have to shine the light. And one of the places that's most important to shine the light is in our own heart. When we are doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing, when we're watching things that we know we shouldn't be watching, we know it. And the danger comes is when you no longer see it. When you no longer really know it. But when you're doing something that you know is wrong... You're able to feel conviction, which leads to confession and repentance. And I think it's really time for the church to wake up. And it's time for many of us who try to use legalism and a works doctrine as an excuse to, to justify certain things that we watch or certain things that we do. Maybe that needs to change. Because we are a witness to our children, our grandchildren, and those all around us. So now we're getting into Deuteronomy chapter 22, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 19 first. Deuteronomy 22, starting with verse 13. If a man takes a wife, and he goes into her and detests her, and charges her with shameful conduct, and brings a bad name on her, and says, I took this woman, and when I came to her, I found she was not a virgin." Then the father and mother of the young woman shall take and bring out the evidence of the young woman's virginity to the elders of the city at the gate. And the young woman's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man as wife, and he detests her. Now he has charged her with shameful conduct, saying, I found your daughter was not a virgin." And yet, these are the evidences of my daughter's virginity. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. Then the elders of the city shall take uh, that man and punish him, which was public lashing. And they shall fine him 100 shekels of silver, which was a large amount. If you put it in today's money, some people think it's around $100,000 dollars. And get, give them to the father of the young woman because their house, the father and mother's reputation was besmirched because of this. Because he has brought a bad name on, the, on a virgin of Israel. And, she, and listen, and she shall be his wife. He cannot diver, divorce her all his days. And you might think, well, why, do he wanna, why would she even want to be his wife? Well, because that's what God intended. When you're married, you stay married. And the reality is, the fact that he could not divorce her was almost like a punishment or or a sentence put on him. Because in that day, divorce had become so common that all a man had to do is stand his wife up, walk around her three times saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it was over with. She was divorced. But now, he couldn't do that. He could never divorce her. So she could just do whatever she wanted and be as mean to him as she wanted, he could do nothing about it. And I'm just joking. But you understand the point. He couldn't divorce her. <laughs> and, um, you know, we, we have to realize that deception and sin go together. The world and, and Satan loves to deceive us, even believers into thinking sin is okay. Sin is never okay because it is contrary to God's word. And the point that we always have to remember is confession and repentance is what allows us to move on in our walk with the Lord. If there is anyone here who says, you know what, I got saved in 1953 and I haven't sinned since, I would say, well, you know what, you're probably one of the biggest liars I've ever heard in my life, which is considered a serious sin. But the reality is, we we have fallen to sin and we do fall to sin. That's why his mercies are new every morning because we need it every morning. But the reality is, when you confess and repent your sin, you're forgiven. Pastor Frank Jr. was mentioning how uh, I want on my tombstone. Now I don't know why he was mentioning that. If he was kind of thinking maybe my time is coming, you know, maybe it's time for me to move up here, you know, I don't know. But anyway, he he said he said yeah, my dad wants on his tomb, tombstone First John one nine. If I Uh, confess if a man confesses sin and and, uh, god is faithful and just to forgive him and purify him from all unrighteousness that is my verse because i don't think i am oh the holy man who never falls i realize i'm a sinner saved by grace and i realize every day i need the grace and mercy of god because he forgives those who confess and repent and as we can see in this portion um This was given to protect the woman and the woman's family. It wasn't to harm the woman. It was to protect her and her family. And I'm so glad that, um, you know, the Lord has put this in here that we might understand and realize it's always important to do what is right. Because it's easy to bring accusations against someone. But especially if the accusations are false, that's a serious crime. It's a serious offense. In 2 Samuel <clears throat> um, 13, uh, chapter 13, and you can just write that down as a note, we have an interesting account of um, David, David's son, Ammon, and he had an obsession for his, stepd- his stepsister, Tamar, and he wanted to have her. And and she wouldn't. She said, go ask my father David. You can marry me. We can get married. Go ask him. Because she knew the right way it should be. And so he forced himself on her. And then after that, it says, he hated her more than he loved her. And he refused to marry her. Well, Ammon eventually died. Because we have to understand that God's law is for our protection. God's law is for our good. You know, so many people think, well, being a Christian and all, the, all the, the laws of God are holding us down. It's our protection. It's our freedom. Those whom Christ has set free are what? Free indeed, because nothing will hold you more captive and more bondage than your own conscience. You feel so, oh, oh uh, go to Jesus, and your conscience can be wiped clean and your sins completely forgiven. Though your sins be as scarlet, he can make them what? As white as snow. Take them completely away. Now go to uh, verse 20. You know, one of the things you want to remember, too, at the time that this was written, the average age for a young woman to become married was 14. I know that's really weird for us. But that was the average age. In fact, for, for men, they were usually you know, 18, 19 years old when they were getting married. But the average age was around 14 for a woman. Just something to keep in mind. Verse 20. But if the thing is true, in other words, that she wasn't a virgin, and evidence of virginity are not found for the young woman, then they shall bring the young woman to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her to death with stones. Wow. Because she has done a disgraceful thing in Israel to play the harlot in her father's house, so you shall put away the evil from among you. So, <clears throat> that's very serious. But the, things we, the thing we have to understand is lie, lying and deceiving is always worse than possibly the actual sin. And the reason I say that, if in that time, if a woman confessed, I'm not a virgin... And she married someone. That accusation couldn't be again be brought against her because she admitted it. And so it was the deception of pretending she was something that she wasn't, that brought the brings the problem here. And um, if the deceived husband was a kind man, no, like in this case, it says bring her to the you know to the door of her parents' house. Why? to the door of their parents' house, because you parents have responsibility of raising your children up in the ways of the Lord. And so that young woman who played the part of a harlot and pretended she was a virgin, it's your responsibility, so she was brought to the door of her parents' house and stoned to death. And that's very, obviously, very, very harsh. But even if a man married a woman and found she wasn't a virgin, if he was a kind man, he could put her away quietly. In fact, turn to Matthew, the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 1. Matthew, chapter 1, and go to verse 19. Matthew, first book of the Gospels. Matthew, chapter 1, and go to verse 19. And this, this really tells you, like, we, we know that, that Mary was, was a, a woman blessed among all women. I mean, God chose her to bear the Christ. The Holy Spirit came upon her, and she became pregnant and bore the Christ. But we forget sometimes what a great, wonderful man of integrity Joseph was. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, in other words, being stoned to death at her parents' house, was, uh, was minded to put her away secretly. You have to realize... Mary was visiting her cousin Elizabeth, and when she came back, she was obviously pregnant. And Joseph had never been with her. And he was going to be a kind man and just put her away quietly. But then we all know the account. In a dream, the Holy Spirit came to him and said, Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is in her was conceived at the Holy Spirit. She was the only woman in the world to have a child as a virgin. It's amazing. And then go to Luke chapter 3, Matthew, Mark, Luke, we're right there anyway, and go to verse 23, excuse me, Luke 3, go to verse 23. Now we use the term in the West, Jesus, which is actually taken from Yeshua or Yahshua or Joshua which means God saves. That's actually what his name means, God saves. Luke 3, verse 23. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age being, look at what it says here, as was supposed the son of Joseph. Do you know what that tells us about Joseph? He never put Mary to shame. Can you imagine Joseph going around his friends and saying, well, well, yeah, uh, you know, I, I never had sex with, with, uh, with Mary, but what's conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. They'd be like, yeah. So Joseph always took the responsibility. It tells you what a just and righteous and wonderful man that he was. And the seriousness of this crime, we have to understand, was prompted when we read, read earlier about the woman who pretends to be a virgin and isn't, it was prompted by her, this, this punishment was prompted by her lying and her deceiving. But we have to understand, and move down to verse 16 of Exodus 22. Move down to verse 16. In, in, in uh, verse 16 of Exodus 22, if a man entices a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, in other words, he thinks, I'm not giving my precious daughter to you. He shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. In this case, the woman was not put to, put to death. Why? Because she didn't try to deceive And we have to realize that um, it also shows the seriousness that God takes in relationship to the marriage vows. And whenever we do a wedding, if we're using the old vows, it says, forsaking all others, I will keep thee unto thyself until, you know, as long as we both shall live. And so we have to understand that God takes those seriously. When a man and a woman are married, they're supposed to stay together. And they're supposed to be faithful to one another. And it's interesting, according to the Huffington Post, by 2015, only 5% of the brides who walked down the aisle were virgins. In the 50s, the percentage was around 49%. In the 20s, it was 70% of the brides. And the turning point was actually the cultural revolution, it was called, of the 60s. Hey, man, make love, not war. But the reality is, in making that kind of love, you're doing violence towards other people. So we have to realize that Jesus Christ always gives us a new beginning. Because living in the day and age that we live in, there's probably not too many in this fellowship that could raise their hand. There's some, I'm sure, but not too many that could raise their hand and say, I have followed all God's commands when it relates to sexuality, and I I was pure to the day of my wedding, but the reality is God forgives us, and God's forgiveness is so complete it gives us a brand new beginning. Do you understand that? His mercies are new every morning, but it's because we have a brand new beginning, When you confess and repent your sin to the Lord, you're cleansed. It says he purifies us from all, not some, all unrighteousness. You're clean. You're pure. And you're able to serve the Lord with that kind of a heart. And go to verse 22. If a man is found lying with a woman married to a husband, then both of them shall die the man that lay with the woman and the woman, so uh, you shall put put away the evil from Israel. If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband and a man finds her in the city and he lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife, so you shall put away the evil from among you. many ask why this harshness we have to understand that god gave as an example of marriage his relationship with the church god is so faithful to us jesus christ is so faithful to us and we need to endeavor to be faithful to him it doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes because we're not god and because we live in a fallen world And so our flesh is always crying out to be satisfied. But we are married to a a pure and righteous groom. And the church of Jesus Christ has to be the kind of, of bride who's willing to confess and repent and not try to hide our sin. There's nothing worse that you can do for your own heart than hide your sin. It doesn't mean you have to stand up and blab it in front of everyone because they'll just use it as a point of gossip but you need to confess it to the Lord. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. And he will. You know, um, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. There is a great, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the point he's bringing out is that when you get married, that person is to be your soulmate for the rest of your living days. But being human, if we fall, we need to confess and repent. God forgives us and gives us new beginnings. And we have to realize that um, probably there is nothing that is more dangerous than in our society, than this type of sin. And um, I was reading in it's called Marriage Review," and uh, among unbelievers, among unbelievers, 55 percent of men and 50 percent of women will commit marital unfaithfulness. That's absolutely amazing. And uh, interestingly, this is also equals the percentage of the divorce rate in this nation. And so we have to understand, it's, it's, it's less among believers, but it's much higher than it should be. You'd be shocked. And so we have to realize that is why the bride, uh, you know, is to commit herself to her husband, and the groom is to commit himself to his wife, and the two shall become one. You know, that is why the Bible says if your eye or your hand Causes you to sin, pluck it out or cut it off. It's better to go through life with one eye or maimed than it is to enter into the, you know, the fires of hell. And so we have to understand if there's something in our life that that is causing us to fall, get rid of it. And that's hard for us. I'm being honest. I'm just being honest. It's hard for us. I mean, there are things in our lives that we have allow, our, that we allow ourselves to do, we know is wrong. We know it's wrong. But somehow we've made excuses for it. Well, we're living in a different time. Well, what do we say when unbelievers say the Bible isn't relevant today? Oh, we get all upset. But I think sometimes in our own heart we say the Bible isn't relevant today. The Bible says what it says, and the commands are the same today, yesterday, and forever. And... Um, And one of the things I want to mention, as I did earlier, if a betrothed uh, chastity were violated by her own consent and she cried out for forgiveness, she was forgiven, and she would not be stoned to death because she was honest about it. And um, when it talks about in the city, if they had this kind of relationship, it's figured that she didn't cry out because she cried out she would have been rescued. She would have been saved. So she was also um, willing, a willing participant. Now, in verse 25 through 27. <clears throat> but if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside, and the man forces her, and he lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving death. For just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, even so in this, is this matter. For he found her in the countryside, and, listen, um, the betrothed young woman cried out, but there was no one to save her. Isn't it amazing how old that crime is? And it's a very serious crime. Sixty percent of men who commit rape will do it again, uh, according to um, every, all the statistics that we read. And um, it, in, in that day that we're reading right now is considered a capital offense. Because the man who did this to the woman, she, he was to be put to death. And the woman was still considered as a virgin. Did you know that? She was still considered as a virgin. It was not her consent. It was not her will. She didn't do anything purposely to betray God's law. So she was still considered a virgin. And um, it's interesting. A lot of you might not realize this, but rape was considered a capital crime in this country until uh, 1977. And um, Justice, uh, Chief, Supreme Court Justice... Uh, Byron White, in his 1977 Coker versus Georgia majority opinion, he said this, Life is over for the victim of uh, the murderer. For the rape victim, life may not be nearly so happy, you think, as it was, but it is not over and uh, normally is not beyond repair. We have the uh, abiding conviction that the death penalty, which is unique, in its uh, severity and irrevocability, is an excessive penalty for rapists, and so after 1977, it was no longer considered a capital offense. And it's interesting, also at that point, the incidence of of, uh, of, of rape rose. And so, we live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen nation. We're not going to find our peace and our justice in this world but we find it in the world to come. We find it in Jesus Christ. And then in verses 28 through 30, if a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her, and he lies with her, and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver, and she shall be his wife, because he had humbled her. He shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days." A man shall not take his father's wife, nor uncover his father's bed. Now, as far as the beginning of this is concerned, uh, it was determined um, that a man was not to take advantage of a woman. When it says to seize, you know, we think of that as like he forcibly took her. But it's actually taken from the Hebrew word tasphah, and it literally means to convince her to persuade. So in, some, in other words, it's like the guy saying, I really love you. And if you love me, it's that kind of thing. you're trying to convince or persuade someone that's what this seizing means. And so the young woman was convinced that this guy loved her so much and wanted to marry her anyway. And, um, but it was considered a crime that the man would do this. And so it is like so many things that we see in our world today that are contrary to God's word and God's law, but have just be- has just become accepted. It's just considered an accepted thing. Well, you know, we've been dating for three months. What? You're a believer? I don't care if you've been dating for three years. You have to wait until you're married. That's what the Bible says. And verse 30, which is a very confusing verse when you first read it, it's not talking about the man's mother, but his father's wife. And this whole thing is repeated if you take notes in 1 Corinthians five one, And so what it's actually talking about here is if you have a man who was married, had children, and maybe his wife died, was killed or whatever, and he goes out and he marries another woman, maybe a woman younger than himself, and that the father dies, for whatever reason, the son was not allowed to marry his father's widow. Even though she wasn't his mother, he was not allowed to because it would be dishonoring to the father. And so that's why this was put in there. It's not talking about a man with his own mother. It's talking about the woman his father remarried and he was not to be with her. And it was considered a very serious sin. And, and some of you might remember that David's son, Absalom, did this very thing. When he was trying to overthrow the government of his father, David, he went up on the roof of the castle and he took uh, um, David's wives and violated them. And it was to show that he was now the king. And, of course, we all know what happened to Absalom. You know, he, um, he died. In fact, uh, his hair got caught in a branch of a tree. He had beautiful long hair and uh, he was stuck there. And then they came back and they killed him. And so we have to realize that when we read portions like this, they're sensitive, they're difficult, but it's speaking to us. You know, we as believers, we might not be dealing with some of these things that are being talked about, but it's really a question that we need to honestly ask ourselves because we're not being legalistic, we're not being, um, you know, trying to put rules and regulations on you and think that salvation is a matter of works. It's just a challenge. What are there, what, what things are in our life that we're doing, that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're participating in, that we know in our heart is wrong? Well, it's time for believers to say, I'm going to admit it and I'm going to repent of it And I'm going to find God forgiveness and move ahead. Because that's the wonderful thing about being a disciple and a child of God. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ and a child of God is we can always be moving on. It's so wonderful. Because just like the woman who was taken advantage of and uh, she was still considered a virgin by the law. And nothing happened to her. She was considered completely innocent. You and I can have our virgin minds restored through confession and repentance. Our virgin's heart, virgin hearts restored through confession and repentance. And so we have to be willing to look at ourselves and look at our lives and say, what is there that needs to be changed? What is there that I need to maybe remove? What is there that I need to add? I don't believe there's any one of us that doesn't realize that there are things we could change. You know, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, because you know what happens when you point a finger at someone? There's three more pointing back at you. So not a matter of pointing fingers at anybody. Believe me, this is a message just as much for me as it is any of you. But I think we have to take maybe an account of our life. For our sake, for our soul's sake, for our spouse's sake, for our children's sake, for our grandchildren's sake. I want to love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not allow the things of this world to come in and corrupt my heart because the things of this world come in much too often and corrupt my heart. They really do. And I repent of it and I confess it and I want to be pure before the Lord in both my conduct and my thought. Father, come before us. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and I pray that you would come to us by your Holy Spirit and give us the peace of forgiveness the peace of restoration, that we might be able to move on from this place, and that we might be able to realize and come to the conclusion that you have given us victory. We can have victory in all these areas through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we confess and repent and ask that you would do a mighty work in each one of us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. And God bless you, my dear friends. Whoop.